My name is Scott. I'm one of the pastors here at Illuminate. I've uh, been around here for, for six years, and, I've, and uh, it's, it's like I figured if I waited long enough, the bullpen would get shallow enough that Jason would have to ask me to speak on a Sunday. And we are here this morning. I'm here with you, and I think God wants to do something special. But, uh, man, if you're here for the first time, let me say welcome. If you're here online, let me say welcome. I forgot to welcome you last service because everybody texted me and told me that I forgot to do that. So uh, welcome. Glad that you're here. Um, Jason is going to be back next week. Uh, he's going to be back in the pulpit, back uh, probably with some, with some new thoughts for all of us and some things that, that God's been kind of wrestling around his own heart. But Jason, if you guys are watching, man, thank you and Jill for leading us spiritually, theologically, physically. We hope you get some rest and we can't wait till you come back. And I got to apologize uh, ahead of time because I drink espresso like constantly. So I move around a lot. So good luck, cameraman and online people with keeping up this morning. But hope it works all out for you. So we're actually going to take a breath from Genesis this week. We're going to kind of come up for air. And I think God wants to do something special because like how it played out. Jason asked me, he was like, hey, would you, do you want to speak this summer? And I literally like text him back like, Yes, down. And then uh, I was like, what scripture do you want me to teach? He said, Genesis 27. So I got to work on it. And then about two weeks ago, he called me and he was like, I think we want to do something different. And I was like, well, what do you want to do? And he sent me an email that uh, like kind of just reflected his heart. If you know, if you've been a part of this church or you know Jason, uh, or even like I can remember it, even our first conversations when uh, we were talking about me coming to work here was that, uh, that like he, this was going to be a church that was not scared to go into the deep waters, that was not scared to go into the high weeds, that was not scared to go in different places. Like that was going to be a difference about these people, you people, but you weren't here yet. So you people is what it was about. And uh, so I started to look in scripture to be like, okay, well, I got to go to some of these deep places. So where are those at? So you dig into Hebrews and Romans. And I just kept finding myself like unsettled in my spirit about what we were, what I was going to teach. And I just feel like God was kind of like, uh, like use my simple commands because I think sometimes our simple commands, we don't always categorize them as deep waters, but sometimes they're the hardest things to actually apply into our lives. Sometimes the stories that are easy to read or the things that are easy to say are actually like the things that are hardest for us to do. And so we're gonna look at one of those instances this morning. It's actually like someone asked Jesus a question and Jesus' answer to the question, I think is some of the most impactful words that he ever said. Why are these the most impactful words that he ever said or could they be? It's because every single church website, wall, Christian t-shirt, bumper sticker, everything that has to do with the mission of the Lord has something to do with his response to this question. Now this question didn't get asked to get that answer. It got asked to test him to derail him, but we're beneficiaries of the answer. So this morning, if you want to turn your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be in verses 34 through 40. This is actually called the great commandment. So like, if I can give you a little picture of this scripture, like what's coming up and what's, what's coming after is that there's these two groups of people. There's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Uh, they don't agree on everything, but they definitely agree on the fact that they don't like what Jesus is doing and they would prefer his influence to decrease and their influence to increase. But what's been happening, if you read before this, is that... Every time Jesus opens his mouth, the opposite happens. His influence increases, theirs decreases. Every time he teaches something that they taught, it seems to come out clearer, more concise, almost like it's from the source. Imagine that, right? They ask him questions about taxes, probably hoping, like, who should we pay our taxes to Caesar? 
probably hoping that they would say, that Jesus would say, no, no, give me all your money so that, so that he would be killed. Or they asked him about the resurrection, the afterlife, because they didn't agree on that. And they were trying to get Jesus to put himself in one of these camps, but he wouldn't do that either. He answered every question perfectly to the point where we find ourselves in verse 34, where the Sadducees were silenced. They had nothing left to say. They had no questions left to ask because they couldn't figure out how to decrease Jesus' influence. So they stopped asking. But the Pharisees figured they'd take one more shot at it. And what they did is they brought in like a ringer, an expert. In the, in the scripture, it'll say a lawyer, but it's not a lawyer like, like we would know a lawyer. It's not a lawyer like Johnny Cochran or like a lawyer like the guy you would call to help you get out of jail or like the guy you would call, my, my brother-in-law's a lawyer. Like, not like that. Like the lawyer they're talking about is a teacher of the law. He's an expert in the Old Testament. He would be somebody who would come in and for sure be able to stump Jesus with his question. And what question did he ask? Well, for sure he would ask the question that stumped them because in this time, right? Like, so he's gonna ask him, which is the greatest commandment? And now there's 613 commandments in the Mosaic law. And these religious leaders would wrestle over which one was the greatest. They'd argue about it. Which is the greatest commandment, blah, 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 right? They'd, they'd argue about it, not being able to figure it out. So surely if we can't figure it out, we can stump Jesus with a question that we can't answer because he for sure won't be able to answer it because he's not who he says he was. He's not a great teacher. We're actually better than him. So that's where we find ourselves this morning in this, this Pharisee questioning Jesus, but the outcome is actually the most important words he ever said. And some of the most important words that I think we often forget. What makes it for sure deep waters and high weeds for us as believers to walk in. So let's walk in it together this morning. Verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, is, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. Jesus' answer to the question, he doesn't mince any words. He says three actually really important things for us to take note of. He says that we are to love God in this special, unique way. We are to have that love pour out onto others in this other special, unique way. And actually these two commandments, everything else rests on them. All of the other 613 laws rest on these two in one way or another. These sum up all of it. Some would say even the whole Bible is summed up in these two commandments, that this whole book is written so that we would learn how to love God and love people better. So we better pay attention to what he's saying. We better understand what the picture of that he's talking about. Because if this is true, yeah, he had to say this to the Pharisees because the Pharisees weren't always great at loving God like this. They're, they were great at loving God like this so everybody could see it, so everybody could notice it, so they could be in charge. But he forever took two commandments that were separate, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That would have been like, like an expected answer. Everyone would expect him to say that. It's probably in the conversation of one of the greatest commandments, right? It was in that argument. But then he took this other commandment to love your neighbors yourself and he connected them together never to be separated ever again that they can never be one without the other. You can't love God in this way and it not pour out in your life in this way. You can't love other people like this without fully loving God like this. 
And I'm a simple guy, so I'm like, well, if this is that important, like someone draw me a diagram because I need to understand how to do it. And so this morning, we're gonna look at each one of those, starting with the first one, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul. Mark would add strength into the mix. And the picture that's drawn, right? We start to think that's a picture of like, like a young, youthful, right? You saw it up here, right? Like someone who, un, who loves God unreservedly. We attach that to young people, right? We think that's, the, that's gotta be the type of love they're talking about. It's so full, that's gotta be it. And I can definitely tell you the picture that they're not talking about is there's no way that you can love God like that with only part of your life, with only pieces of it. Think if you piece it out or if you told someone else, like if I went to my wife and I was like, Jenna, I love you with all my mind. I think I'd more likely get like smacked before I would get, I also love you with my mind. It's missing something. You cannot love God in the way that he's talking about in this scripture without loving him fully. And sometimes we take that full picture and we think it's gotta be, it's gotta be like, oh, it's gotta be like when you're young, right? Like I can remember in my twenties making, having prayers like, God, tell me what to do, I'll do it. Tell me where to go and I'll go. Tell me what you want me to do and I'll operate in that way because I can, because I don't have anything else but you. But I think if you were really to draw an earthly picture of what that love looks like, it doesn't look like someone in their 20s. It looks more like the widow who comes in here and sits in the back by herself, who's in her 80s, who smiles at you when she walks in, sits by herself in the back row. She raises her hands to God when you're not looking because she didn't come here to sing songs. She came here to give value to her king because she's had everything and life and time, it's all gone back. And she's left with realizing there is no one else that loves God, that loves me like God has loved me. There's no one in all these years of my life that loves me like God loves me, no matter what. And she gives that love right back to him. That's the picture. It's a, it's a fully surrendered life to God. It's, if I could use my big boy words, right? It's preeminent and unreserved love to the Lord but it's only gonna happen over a lifetime because in the middle, what we do is we get caught in this like wrestling match, right? Is that when, we're, when I'm 20, I pray to God and I say like, God, you can have my Astro van and my empty bank account and my shallow pockets and my broken bicycle. Like you can have it all, do with it what you want. But then what happens is God adds to it and your business is successful and your car gets nice. Maybe you move into a new neighborhood and things change. And as those things change, they can start to steal that time and that love away from God that's supposed to be his, right? It's almost as if like we give him the steering wheel, but as things, as, as things go good, we like to like take it back and be like, God, I know the directions. Like, let me drive, just meet me over there. I know where we're going. But the, the life that loves God like that is about giving him the steering wheel and not getting it back. It's that constant growth of love and trust in the Lord in all aspects of our life, in all of them. And we get so used to grabbing it back and doing it ourselves, thinking that we're gonna do a better job, but we're not. He's gonna do the better job. 
And we have to keep giving that love back to him. And Jesus doesn't just stop at saying, you are to love God in such a way that is almost like hard. It's hard to understand. It's hard to picture. It's hard to be like, can I even do that? He then takes it a step further. And he says, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And you're to pour that out in love to your neighbor as yourself, which is like a weird statement. It's a weird statement to love your neighbor as yourself. And because like any, no matter what culture you come from, no matter what family you're from, if you make a lot of money, a little money, no money, whatever, like the constant is usually your default is you treat yourself the best. Usually our default is that we treat ourselves the best. And that statement is an automatic qualifier that you're not one. You're not number one. You're definitely not God. You're definitely not second either. Like we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And I would say most believers who say they wanna follow Jesus are totally on board when we read the first half of the great commandment. Totally on board. I want to love God like that. I hope I'm gonna spend my whole life trying to love God like that. And when I give the steering wheel away or when I take it back, I hope I give it away just as quick. But now when we get to the part about loving our neighbor as ourselves, it gets a little harder. And like, if you're in this room and you're like, man, I actually kill it at neighboring. I lead people to the Lord all the time. I bring people in here all the time. I'm like, I'm, I'm just killing this game, Scott. Well, if you're doing that, please sit back and pray for the rest of us as we wrestle through some of the harder places. And if you are more like me, where you say, when this neighboring part comes in, stuff gets a little more tight, a little more tense, because maybe you lived in the same neighborhood for 20 years and you don't know nobody. Or maybe you stopped inviting people to church a long time ago. Maybe you don't share the love that God's given you to other people anymore. You avoid those opportunities because you can. But here's the deal. In the last couple of years, I don't know what happened, but someone seemed to have sat on the crazy button and they forgot to get off because uh, if I look around and I watch what's going on, there are things happening that you're like, no way that's happening, and it is. And there are people saying things that are going on. There are people behaving in certain ways to each other that you're like, this, this is ridiculous. And no matter what, as a believer, no matter how ridiculous this life gets in this book, if I can just like, you know, tell you, surprise ending, it gets worse. Like if you read the other pages, that's where it goes. But the thing that doesn't change is your job description. As a believer, this is our job description. We're to love God like that. And we're to love our neighbors like ourselves. We are to pour out the same love that God gave us onto the people that are closest to us. Now that's interesting, right? In the, as, we, as we've gone through Genesis, we've learned a lot about God. We've learned that he's like, that he's a God of order and like he has a plan and we constantly mess it up, but there's a plan. And if God does stuff on purpose and there's a plan and he places you here and he places all these people who don't believe in the Lord here, how is it this guy's job to shine Jesus' light to those people? It can't be, it's your job. God puts you there on purpose. You work in this job where you happen to work with a bunch of people who don't agree with you or don't behave the same way as you and they're not believers. Guess why he put you there? to love them, not to avoid them. And I'm not saying this is easy because it'd be easy for me to get up here and give you my, my highlight reel, my Instagram feed, 
my Facebook feed and be like, hey, here are all the times where I was winning when it comes to neighboring and caring for those people around me. But I thought this morning it'd be even better to give you like the low light reel because like it's actually really hard to do. Me and Jenna used to live in a, in a townhouse. And like, so it was like uh, the garages faced each other and the front yards faced each other. So if you went in the, if you went out the garage, we would say backyard, but there was no grass or playground. It was just like asphalt, and, but that's where everybody played, right? So that's where, that's where you'd go out the garage and out the front, you'd see other people on their porches, but we would go more out the back because we had two little kids and they'd ride their bikes out there, except during summer when everything burns you during the summer here. It's interesting. Uh, that's where we'd go and I'd run into different parents back there and there was a dad a few houses down who had two little boys that were the same age and they would come and they would terrorize the garage and break stuff because that's what hyper little boys do. So like, we were all hyper little boys at once. You'll get through it, parents, I promise. They'll get better. Uh, they used to come over and they terrorize the kids. They break stuff and they'd be, it's fine. But me and the dad would start to talk to each other. We'll call him John, even though that's not his name. And then one day John, when I walked out there to talk to him, John did not look good. John was actually having like a really hard time and I was like, what's going on with you? Like something's, something's wrong. And John told me that day that he got diagnosed with a disease. It was treatable, but the treatment was actually like really expensive. And he was distraught because he couldn't think of the world where he spent all the money that he made on helping himself live so that his family and his kids would be broke. John was married. And we talked that day. And I mean, I definitely would say I didn't say anything discouraging to him. Sure, I asked him if I could pray for him, and then we walked away. And I didn't think too much more about it until, the, until a couple nights later, when in the middle of the night, me and Jenna woke up to hear him like screams from his house. And there were like fire engines in front of it. And Jenna was like, you got to go out there. So I went out there and started trying to figure out what's going on. And apparently John hung himself in his garage and his wife found him. And we tried to care for the kids and his wife and they moved away not long after that because they couldn't afford to live there no more. But I'll tell you what, man, I want that, convers I want that conversation back. <laughs> I want to redo on that one because that guy was my neighbor and I didn't love him well. He dwelled near me, right? Because that's a definition of neighbor, like someone who dwells near me and other people that like, that God collides your life with that obviously you're supposed to care for in a special way. God put someone like that in my life and I missed him. He was right in front of me and I missed him. Part of my job description is to love my neighbor and I missed him. I'll tell you one more. Just so, Sometimes you get the idea that like, Oh, if Christians read this book and read this passage, they get this and it's really easy to do. But it's not because I'll tell you what, at the end of my life, I'll be smiling over all the highlights, but the Johns are gonna bug me. The missed opportunities are gonna bug me when God like serves up a home run and you just miss it because probably in that moment, it was one of those moments where I took the steering wheel back. I grabbed it and was like, oh, I'm too busy to talk to John about something more significant. I'm in a hurry to get my kids to bed or to get to something else. So I skip over the most important thing that was in front of me. For clarity, like that's not what Jesus is talking about here. That's probably a lot more like what the Pharisees did. I used to work at a place at a lock treatment facility for teenagers. Uh, so we would have 70 teenagers that lived on this campus. Um, 
there's actually people from this church that go down and cut their hair every single month. But uh, during that time, I didn't, I didn't come here. I didn't work here. I worked there. And we would, these were the, some of the worst abuse and neglect cases in the state of Arizona. So the kids would come. They haven't been treated well by anybody. And like there's one guy came. I remember him. I'll never forget him. His name, his, we'll call him Kyle. Uh, Kyle was little. He had tattoos all over him, all his face and neck and knuckles and everywhere. And he would beat up everybody. Because he was so little that like he had to be extra mean. And he was mean to everyone. But for some reason, me and Kyle became friends. I became, they had a program of like, oh, we have, like they call it special friends, where you became someone's special friend. And it was, the whole goal was to put one positive adult role model in one of these kids' lives. So I was Kyle's special friend, which means like I got the call when Kyle was in trouble. I got the call when he attempted suicide and had to go there at night and like see what was going on with him. And like people would drop Kyle off into my office and we would sit there and eat hot Cheetos and he would like squeeze this lime juice on him. It was really gross, but that's what he did. And sometimes we'd talk about God, but sometimes we wouldn't. Kyle actually aged out of that facility and I packed his clothes into a garbage bag and sent him in a taxi. We weren't allowed to see where they went. And I always hoped that I would run into Kyle at Costco because that's where you run into people that you haven't seen in a long time is you run, you run into them at Costco during they're like looking at the clothes there. And that's where like life comes together at Costco. And I, I hoped I would see him there with his, with his wife and his kids. And then we would like laugh about stuff and it'd be like, oh, ha, ha, blah, 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 right? Like I always pictured it'd be one of those moments, but less than a year after he left the facility, I got the call because Kyle was, he had a drug problem. He also had an alcohol problem. And he got frustrated one night and he drank way too much and wandered out into the street in South Phoenix. He got hit by a car and was killed. I, I wanted all those moments in my office back. I hope in the middle that someone shared with him the gospel. But man, I wanted those moments with him back. Once again, like God served up this opportunity <laughs> of someone who needed like special love in a special way and I missed it. Part of the great commandment is that as we love God more and better and longer, that there's way less Johns and Kyles in our life and there's way more, you name them, the people that live across the street from you, the people that you work with at your workplace, that there's way more, that there's way more success stories than there is failures. Because at this point, we all know by the end of it all, all the stuff that you acquire that we talked about in the middle that can steal your love from the Lord, that can steal your time away from you, none of that goes with you anywhere. When I die, I'm not gonna say, Jenna, please, Please put all of my trinkets and things that I like and stuff them into my casket with me and like, so they go with me. It doesn't happen. That's not the truth. The only thing that comes with us is the people that are gonna, we're gonna see in heaven with us when we get there. So it would be smart of us to spend this life not acquiring those things but instead noticing the people that God put around us, right? Because if he does it on purpose, you're here on purpose this morning, where you go is on purpose after this, where you live your whole life is on purpose, places you move to are on purpose, places you work at are on purpose, the people in your family are on purpose, don't leave the family out, they're the hardest. Those are on purpose. And if you're a believer in any of those places, 
Like it's your job to shine the light of Jesus to those people. So Scott, how do we do that? How do we actually do that? Well, I'll tell you what it starts with. It starts with relationship. It starts with actually like making a connection, right? If I want to go reach somebody, I don't just sit there and stare at them. I go over and I build a relationship with them. I get to know them. I bring them into the play, into my life, right? I bring them around my table. I bring them to places where, where I go. And in those places where we collide, God does special things and things, and we get to have these conversations that you wouldn't have just staring at them. You actually get to have the type of conversations they're talking about in the great commandment in our job description. It has to start with relationship. And it, and it has to move into serving them. That's sometimes how you open up the doors. How can I serve you? How can I help you? Maybe it's just praying for them. Maybe it's doing some, maybe it's mowing their grass. I don't know. I don't live where you live. God's put you there on purpose. But this morning I know this, that if this church, if these people, us, if we're gonna have an impact and influence in this city, there's no way we're gonna do it without fully understanding this and putting it into our lives. There's no way it's gonna happen. If we don't learn to love God more with all of our lives, we're not gonna love people better. It's not gonna happen. And if God's story is true, at some point we get to the end and I want less John and Kyle stories that come from this congregation. I wanna hear more people bringing their neighbors here because we gotta start there. It's not, I don't think it's a happenstance that he uses the word neighbor in this, in this passage, right? We wanna dig into the Greek and Hebrew for everything, but it still means neighbor. You still live in a neighborhood or an apartment complex or a condo complex. Even if you live in two places, you just made it harder on yourself. You have two neighborhoods. <laughs> the, the mission doesn't change guys. It's the same thing. If we are placed in a place, we have to shine that light. And we are to be the ones to have those conversations. The problem seems to be that we're not having them as much anymore. If I was to do a test and ask each one of you if you could name all the people that lived around you, I wonder if we could. Me and my wife did this a few years ago. We tried to name the people who lived around us. I think we got to two houses and then we didn't know the rest of them. I work at a church, I'm a pastor, don't know my neighbors. Like something was, something's wrong. And our job description is to make it right where we're at. We can't change it all, but we can change that. We can change the way we operate in these places where we live, work, and we play. And we can ask God to enter them and to do something supernatural and special. And those people wind up in this room and in heaven one day, we can do that. And so as we move into the fall or whatever, late summer into the fall, I think it's a big deal for us to think about how is God gonna use us in our neighborhoods? And if you're in a place where you're looking for other places for, for to just collide with people with, like there are all kinds of opportunities in, uh, in local outreach this summer that you can go out and we've set up a whole bunch of stuff for you to do. You wanna, you wanna minister to someone who's been in prison? Great, let me know. Let's do it. You want to minister to somebody who's having trouble finding a house? Great, yeah, we could do that. You want to minister to someone who's in foster care? Yeah, great, we can do that. If you're looking for a place where your life can collide with someone who it normally wouldn't, 
that can happen really quick. And those are the two spaces where I think like we need to move further into, right? Like it's great to come in sitting here every Sunday. I love sitting in here with you guys, but this room is designed to fill you up so you go out and minister to those people. Jason gets up here every Sunday and he kills it. He nails it every single Sunday he gets up here. And he's not doing it. God's not doing that through him so that we can cheer him on. God's doing that through him so that we can sit back here and cheer you on as you leave this place into these places where God placed you that aren't easy. I'm not, not once this morning am I saying this is easy. It's hard, but it sounds simple. And that's why it's really important for us to dig into and actually do it. Will you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, we thank you, God, for your word. We thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to remember something that you said that was simple but that's actually really hard to do. God, and we pray this morning, God, I pray if anybody in here is in the place they came in here, God, and they, uh, they've taken that steering wheel back. God, they used to love you unreservedly, but somewhere in the middle, they took it back. God, I pray this morning that that person finds themselves on their knees and hands it back to you and let you do what you're meant to do because you can do it better. And God, if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, that's hearing about your love for the very first time, God, I hope that you whisper in their ear that they are amazing. And we know they're amazing because the price that you paid for them. If you paid the price of your son for them, you put the highest value on them. And if they walked in here this morning, not feeling very valued, God, I pray that they feel your love in this place this morning. And God, if your Holy Spirit moves on their heart and they wanna know more about it, Lord, please send them over to us after service. God, let us begin to see people with the eyes that you saw people with. As we read about your son and how he interacted with people. He obviously saw them different. God, give us those eyes. God, let us serve them with those hands. Let us wash their feet. Let us care for their needs. God, and ultimately help us to bring them to your feet, Lord, so that when we go to heaven, they come with us. God, let us be a church that doesn't just talk about the great commandment, but be a church that lives it out. God, we thank you for what you're doing in this place. We pray this in your name, amen.